Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Tonight about the subject of revival. We have to ask ourselves this question tonight. What is revival? I want you to just think about that. Just ponder on that question just for a moment. Ask yourself that question. What is revival? For some people, they think it's this thing that happens in church where, you know, the, the, the church goes crazy and everybody starts, you know, worshiping and the songs last forever. And, you know, there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That might be your interpretation of what you think revival is. Other people might think that revival is, is a thing of the past. It's something that, that used to happen, you know, back in the day. It used to happen in the days of Azusa Street. It used to happen in the, in the, in the beginning times of, of Pentecost. It was something that happened in churches long ago, but it doesn't happen anymore today. People have different definitions of what they think revival is, but let me explain it to you tonight quickly. Revival is an awakening or a quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. I'll say it one more time. Revival is an awakening or a quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. Amen? Our hunger, though, for revival must go beyond our desire for a move of God. And it must, revival must end up being the result of hungering for God himself. Amen? Revival must be us hungering for God himself. Revival is not an experience that just happens in church. It's not just something that you come to. It's not just something that you see. It's something that you experience in your life. Amen? And I believe the Lord has given us a tremendous opportunity to shift from our old way of life into the new way of life that he wants us to embrace. How many of you have said yes to Jesus? Lift up your hands if Jesus is your Lord and he's your Savior. Praise God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that the old is gone and the new has come. Amen. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. So that means the former way of living and the former way that you used to live your life. We don't just incorporate Jesus now into the life that we once had. But we surrender our life to him as Lord. Amen. Jesus is not an addition to your life. He must be everything. Amen. Are you following me tonight? He must be everything tonight. But some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor Duke, the New Testament church, they didn't need revival. How many of you have read your Bibles? Amen. I pray that you read your Bible every single day. Well, you might notice the New Testament church didn't need revival exactly because you don't have to fix what wasn't broken. See, the New Testament church, they understood exactly what it was to walk in the Spirit. Do you know, church, that we cannot do anything unless by the Spirit of God? You cannot do anything that is, that is valuable in the kingdom. You cannot serve the king without the spirit of the king. Amen? We cannot think and fool ourselves into, into believing that somehow now we just have this badge, this name badge of Jesus in our life and that we just move forward doing the things that we used to do, going to the places we used to go, saying the things that we used to say, and even acting and living the way that we used to live. But now all of a sudden we just go to a new place and it's called church. 
No, revival church is something that, that the New Testament church didn't need to have because they were given the Holy Spirit. And that precious gift of the Holy Spirit was everything to them. It was their life source. Acts chapter 17, it says this verse, it says, For in him we live and we move and we have our being. I don't see any room for us to be outside of Jesus. I don't see any room for us to be just on our own doing our, our, our thing and thinking that somehow we're going to be acceptable to God. The New Testament church didn't need revival because, again, they weren't broken. They knew what they needed to do. They knew how the Lord had told them to live. He had told them to carry this spirit of, of the precious Holy Spirit. They had waited for it for 40 days in the upper room. And when they received it, the Bible says that it looked like cloven tongues of fire had rested upon their life. It was the most powerful experience that anybody in the church had ever experienced. And guess what it did? It spread like wildfire. It spread into, into places where people didn't want Jesus to go. It spread into areas where there was religion. It spread into areas where there, was, where there was dictatorship. It spread into all these different regions because the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit being given to us is, is found in Acts 1.8. It says that you would preach the gospel. You would be my witnesses in all the earth, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit was given to you so you could be a witness of him who you profess to know. Amen. I'll say that one more time. The Holy Spirit was given to you so that you could profess and you could witness this one that you know. Not just so we could contain him on the inside or just think that we can somehow fit this gigantic unlimited God inside of our life. And selfishly hold him to ourselves. So let's ask the question, why do we need revival? Why the need for revival? Why the need for revival in the church today? The first reason is because the church could be dead. Revival goes to dead places. Revival picks up and resurrects dead things. You don't need to revive something that's already alive. Amen. I said you don't need to revive something that's already alive. You need to revive something that's dead. There could be an area in your body that needs a resurrection. There could be a ministry or a teaching that needs to be resurrected. But first and foremost, there could be areas in your heart that need reviving. There could be a dead area in your life and in your heart. It could be just like a dead branch that needs to be cut off. Because guess what? It's not producing fruit. The Lord is coming back for fruitful believers do you know that apart from him you can do nothing that's what the scripture says in john 15 but it says if you remain in him he will remain in you and you will what you will bear much fruit you will bear much fruit how many of you have ever been to like an orchard or you've seen like these beautiful you know orange you know groves that we have down here in south texas i pray you never go in there and you know steal an orange because they'll get you or a lemon, right? We have more lemons, I think, here. But how many of you have ever walked down the aisles of one of those orchards and just, just seen, you know, these thousands of orange trees and they're everywhere, right? 
And how many of you have ever seen an orange tree going like this, going, uh, uh, I'm trying to make an orange today. Uh. How many of you have ever seen that? No? Okay. That would be a pretty foolish looking thing, right? Likewise, a Christian that is plugged into Jesus doesn't have to struggle to produce fruit. If you're connected to the source, that is, you're planted, you're rooted, you have, you're, you're connected to the soil and to the water and the life of Jesus, it happens automatically. There's nothing that has to be produced in your life. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to talk a certain way. You don't have to act a certain way because Jesus is flowing in your life. Amen. He is flowing in every area of your heart. He's flowing in your mind. He's flowing from your mouth. He's flowing from your actions. He's flowing from your giving. He's flowing from your coming and your going. He's flowing out of your life. It's evident. You're not like that tree that's going... I pray today that you've given up trying to keep any old dead branches in your life. <sighs> Can we be honest tonight? There's things that we need to just cut off. Amen? And there's things that we have allowed to remain in our life that have been a stumbling block to us. Because we're, A, either too prideful to repent. Or, B... We just don't recognize it or see. I don't know. I ain't got nothing else. But a dead branch will eventually kill the vine. A dead branch in your life actually has the power to kill the vine that it's attached to over time. Maybe, let me illustrate it this way. Diabetes is very prevalent in the culture that we live in and I'm sure many of you know somebody that probably has diabetes and I'm sure that many of you know that there's people that have had diabetes for years and and extended periods of time that uh, sadly you know their their blood flow isn't working properly and and that ends up to losing a toe and that might end up losing losing an ankle or losing or, or losing a knee or or or, or even worse and it's a sad, it's a horrible disease, it's a, it's, it's a demonic thing that happens to an individual's life. But if we can understand the purpose just for a second, that dead branch that's on their life, if it is not severed from their life, it will continue to kill them. It will become gangrenous and it will kill their life. And it's important for us to understand, church, it's important for us to see this and, and know where the Lord wants to take us into is we have to be obedient to his word and we have to say, Lord, tear off any branch in my life, Lord, that, that does not bring you glory. I give you access to my heart, Lord, to tear off the things, Lord, in my life, God, that, are, that, are, that could be killing me, God. The areas of my heart and my life, my thinking, God, the way I treat my, my family, my children, Lord, the way I, 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 I deal with other people, God, that branch, Lord, that is becoming, Lord, something, God, that I'm carrying, Lord, that is literally a dead source, and it's killing my heart, my life. Lord, I give you access to cut off that area. Because unless those areas are pruned and trimmed, unless they are dealt with, we cannot receive the new fruit that God wants to bloom in your life.
New fruit never grows on dead branches. Go to my backyard and look at the plants that I planted last year. I got four little plants that are just like struggling to live. The grass looks great. You can go to my house. It's amazing. But, but the four little plants are struggling to live. And I've cut off the dead branches and I've cut off the things so, to hopefully keep them alive. And I don't know. I need to talk to Sister Thomas. She's an amazing gardener. She'll give me some tips and I can figure that one out. But listen, unless we cut out the dead areas of our life and allow the Lord to cut, cut those things off of our lives, then we cannot receive the new fruit that God wants to give us. The farther you go with the God, the, the farther you go with God, the less you can take with you. The farther that we go into his presence, the farther that we go into his, his life, the farther that we receive him, the, the more that we allow him access, the less we can take with us. I remember that scripture in John 3 and 30. It says this. It says, he must become greater and I must become less. Amen. And so repeat after me. Say revival. Say it like you mean it. Say revival. Isn't first for we. It's for me. I'll say it one more time because I think some of y'all got confused. Let me say Revival isn't first for we. It's for me. Amen. So the Lord wants to do greater things than ever in the lives of his people, and he will perform new things in our midst. Amen. How many of you have been just blown away by what God has been doing? Amen. I've seen the Lord just doing amazing things here at this altar. I've seen God working in our lives, church. And guess what? It's only going to get better. Amen. It's only going to get greater. The fire is only going to intensify. Amen. And, and, and we have to press into the Lord. But I believe there's a transition that's being reestablished in the homes and it's shifting into the church. And so I believe that one of the keys to revival or one of the evidences of revival is a shift from temple religion to the revelation of relationship. A shift from temple religion to the revelation of relationship. You know that the Lord will guide and he will provide for the body of Christ as never before. The things that you have asked him for, the things that you've said, Lord, I want to see this happen in my lifetime, God. The things that I am praying for, the Lord can do it. Amen. I said the Lord can do it. And so the Lord is going to take you, listen to me carefully, from eating and feeding on his word only on Sundays and Wednesdays. Listen, I'm glad that you're here tonight. Amen. Give yourselves a a round of applause just for a moment. I'm glad that you're here tonight. I said, but the Lord is going to take you from eating from his word only on Sundays and Wednesdays. And he's going to teach you how to trust him for daily bread. He's going to teach you how to trust him for daily bread. Because listen, there was a season. All we have to do is go back two years. There was a season where we didn't even have access to this room. We didn't even have access to the house of God because of COVID and all this stuff that was going on. And I believe that in that season, there was a huge sifting and there was a huge shift because there was a lot of people that thought they knew Jesus and thought they had a relationship with Jesus. But the moment that the doors closed, all of a sudden they fell away and all of a sudden they burn out and all of a sudden they're nowhere to be found because they were not connected to the source. They were connected to religion said, oh no, the temple's not open. What are we going to do? There's no bread. And the Lord's wanting to teach us how to find daily bread in him. 
He's wanting you to shift from feeding only from the temple. Because listen, feeding only from the temple will not sustain you in a season of revival. Is the last time you ate on Sunday? I'd be even thinner than I am already if if the last time I ate was on Sunday. Then how come we're not opening the word to spend time with him every day? Every moment, every opportunity. The word that we have more in our life today is social media. Facebook and and Twitter and, and Instagram and all these things, YouTube and all this stuff has literally sucked people into this life of just staring at their phone. 24 7. And they have confusion. They have questions. They don't know what the will of God is for their life. They're still in bondage. They need deliverance. Their kids are falling away from God. And they say, oh, God must not be listening to my prayers. Dare I say that many of you might need church for your daily bread. But the Lord is saying, trust me daily. I see people walking to church on Wednesdays and Sundays having only ate the previous, what the previous service offered. And that's not a relationship. That is religion. I'm going to say it again. That's not a relationship. That is religion. You're trusting man to sustain you because revival church isn't sustained, is sustained rather by God and not by man. Revival is a move of God. It's not a move of man. Now, I wanna, let's get into the word tonight. Some of y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. All right. On one occasion, I want us to just remember this story for a second, and we're, we're going to just dip into it for a moment. But on one occasion, the disciples were walking through a field of wheat on a Saturday. That's on the Sabbath. And because they were hungry, they plucked some of the wheat for themselves, and they began to eat it. And some of the religious Pharisees, they saw what had been done, and they accused them of harvesting on the day of rest. And Jesus illustrated to them that David and his men, they used to go into the temple and eat the sacred bread of God's presence on the Sabbath. And Jesus goes on in Matthew 12 and 6. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. He says this, But I say to you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. That's a great answer, amen. Jesus knew how to tell the Pharisees, like, like every time they thought they could, they could control him, they could put him in some kind of box, in some kind of cage, he's like, hold on a second. There's one who is greater than the temple. You see, it's the religious that will tell you that church is the only way that you can experience the presence and the power of God. They said, Jesus, you're doing this thing all wrong. Your disciples, they can't be doing that. And he said, hold on a second. There's one here who's greater than the laws and all the things that you have said to establish. Some people might now might be incredibly hungry, but listen, they might be ashamed to return to church or back to the temple of God. And Jesus is saying this, I am greater than the temple. I am greater than the temple. Speak to me where you are. Pray and listen. Open the word because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, church, you know, you can pray for somebody that's millions of miles away and God can touch them. Imagine if everybody that needed a healing had to go into a church. Imagine that if everybody that needed deliverance had to walk in the four doors of a church. Then what's the body of Christ for? 
No, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm greater than the four walls. The Bible says that God does not live in temples built by human hands. Because he himself is the temple. He himself is the one that is greater than all of these things. John 6 and 35, he says this. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. He said, come every day to me and you will never be hungry. He says, believe in me and you will never be thirsty. Do you know that you could feast on the bread of life 24-7, 365 days of the year? Not just for the 52 Sundays that we gather. There's some people that I only see on Easter and Christmas. I saw a joke one time, and it was this, 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 this dad, he goes to his son, he says, he says, you know, every time I go to church, all they do is they preach about the the birth of Jesus and the, and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And his son replied, he said, well, dad, that's because you only go to church on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> that kid just burned his dad. Matthew 4 and 4, let's keep going. Jesus answered, he says, the scriptures say bread alone will not satisfy. But true life is found in every word which constantly goes forth from God's mouth. You know, church, that we must learn to trust the Lord for the daily word that he wants to give us. We need to trust him for the daily word that he wants to give us. How many of you prefer a fresh meal? Amen? If you went to a restaurant, think of your favorite restaurant right now. I'm going to make you all hungry. And then I'm going to keep you here forever. No, I'm just kidding. Think of your favorite restaurant. One of my favorite restaurants. I have a couple, but Hayashi is one of my favorite restaurants. Man, I love that place. I even learned how to, like, do the thing, like a ninja and everything. But Hayashi is one of the favorite restaurants for me to go to. I love the food. It's delicious. But it would not be my favorite restaurant if they gave me food from, like, three days ago. Imagine the guy that comes out with the little hat and the suit, you know, and he brings the trays and he's got all this stuff. He comes out and he opens the Tupperware. He opens the Tupperware, right? How many of you guys got, like, food, you know, that's growing arms and legs in your fridge right now? Amen? <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. All right. So you open the Tupperware, and then he gets this three-, four-day-old food, and he goes, and he starts to, like, heat it up in a microwave in front of me. I'd be like, dude, what is this? I'm not paying good money to, to come here to, you know, get reheated microwave food. I'm coming here to get the meal of meals. And I believe that you prefer a fresh meal and not leftovers. And the Lord has more for us than temple leftovers. He has a daily word, a daily embrace from his presence, and a daily nourishment to our souls. Any revelation, listen to me carefully, that does not bring you into a greater encounter with Jesus will only train you to become more religious. There's a lot of people that hear the word. And they're used to coming to church because it's something that they always do. But any revelation that does not bring you into a greater encounter with Jesus will only train you to become more religious. You see, it's all about a relationship with the Lord. How many of you have a relationship with him? How many of you know him in relationship? That is, you encounter the presence of God and not just temple religion. 
You see, when you catch a glimpse of Jesus, you cannot help but hunger and thirst for him because your heart burns with fire and your spirit bubbles up to the point of outpour and overflow. When you see Jesus, when you see his presence move and you know that he is moving in your midst, you, you step into his presence and his love and his beauty and his mercy, they draw you in. This is the beauty of Jesus. That's the beauty of who he is, is that you know you're not supposed to be there. You know you're not worthy to be in his presence, but yet he says, come. You know you're not worthy to, to, to be near him or next to him, and, and he, he is a king. He's so worthy. He's so great. He's so vast. He's so majestic, but he says, Come. He says, Come, and you're thinking in your heart, Lord, how can I go to you? I'm just a sinner, God. I, I don't have anything worthy, God. I'm not even dressed good enough to be in your presence, God. I, I need to do more, Lord, to be there. And he says, Come. He invites us in to draw into his presence and to draw in to his love. His goodness and mercy covers your head. He doesn't shame you. But he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And he desires that you remain in him. You see, that's what relationship looks like. You see, I didn't marry my wife and then break covenant whenever I feel like it. It's been there for 15 years. It's not going anywhere. I don't wake up and say today, I don't feel like being married, so let me take my ring off. And in a relationship with Jesus, listen to the scripture, John 3, 29, it says this. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. And the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. He says, that joy is mine and it is now complete. You see, church, we are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are the one that he is waiting for. You are the one that, that, that made that, that covenant with him on that day when you invited him into your heart and into your soul. You said, I'm following you. I'm getting in a marriage with you, Lord. I'm never going to leave you, Lord. I'm never going to forsake you, God. I'm going to be in this wedding with you, God. Isaiah 62 and 5 says, As a young man marries a young woman, so your builder will marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over your bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Oh, man. Oh, man. That makes me fall in love with Jesus all over again. So your builder will marry you. Now I realize there's both married and unmarried folks here tonight. How many of you are married? (laughs) Nobody enthusiastically raised their hand right now. What is wrong with you people? I said, how many of you are married? Yeah. Like, yeah, okay. Some of you. Man, I shouldn't have even asked that question right now. Okay. Well, I'm going to prove a point here. I don't know about your all's relationships, but all right. Anyways, how many of you are married? Amen? All right. Now, how many of you are waiting to be married? Yes? Raise your hand. All right. Now, I need to say, (laughs) I need to say this. Some of you are fearful of marriage because you've seen others go before you and fail miserably. Let me say it again. 
Some of you are fearful of marriage because you've seen others go before you and fail miserably. Some of you don't like the idea of marriage because you've accepted the world's view of what relationships should look like. Let me keep on going. Can I tell you that if you're married to the wrong person or the wrong ideas or the wrong ideologies, that it will be a miserable season? The Bible says, what does light have fellowship with darkness? Amen? Because marriage is God's design. Amen? And let me say this. Some of you need to divorce your opinions. And you need to divorce secular ideas that have been planted as seeds of destruction. Because no matter how much the world tries to put down what marriage is, or how much the enemy tries to pervert what God has established in Christ, it always works. I said in Christ, it always works. In Jesus, it always works. I can say this, this August, I will be happily married to my wife for 15 years. Now I say that, You need to understand this part of it. I say that coming from a family history of broken relationships, divorces left and right. When I came to Christ, I need you to understand something. When I came to Jesus, the curse stopped here. When I came to a personal relationship with Jesus, the curse stopped here. All the divorces and all the broken relationships and all the things that had literally, I've seen aunts and uncles and everybody, parents, everybody get divorced, 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 divorced. Just this endless cycle, this endless cycle, my own brother's divorce, going on and on and on and on. And I said, no, 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 Jesus, if I'm coming and I'm making a covenant with you. If you are a God that is faithful, if you are a God that is true, then I believe that you can sustain me, you can provide for me, you can give me wisdom, God. You can show me what it's like to be married. You can help me, God, in this season, God. You can perfect this thing in me, God, because I'm trusting in you. Or else he wouldn't be God. And he wouldn't be trustworthy, church, if the very thing that that I had fear of actually doing and committing to, God couldn't help me with. And some of you are experiencing things in your life. You're saying, you know, Pastor Duke, I have these things, these issues before me, and I'm afraid of those things. Listen, he is God and he is real. He is able, church. There's nothing that's impossible for him. Nothing is impossible for him. When you say yes to Jesus, listen to me carefully, he is the bridegroom that will never cheat on you. He'll never divorce you. You'll never catch him with another because he is solely yours. Revelation 22 and verse 17, it says, The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty and the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. How many of you have ever drank from his living water? You've drank from the well of his living water. I'm reminded of that story of the woman at the well, how many of you remember that story? It's found in John chapter 4. And let's, let's just go through that for a moment tonight. John 4 verse 6, it says, Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about noon. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? It says, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food and the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? As did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He tells her, go and call your husband and come back. Ooh. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. But Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this place is where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. But when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. There are several things that a personal relationship with Jesus offers. Number one is this, is it breaks off the world's barriers. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The worldly ideologies and the worldly customs and the worldly things that we see that happen all the time. Listen, when you come to Jesus, Jesus is a chain-breaking God. He is a barrier-breaking God. Everything that the world says you cannot touch, you cannot associate with this person, you cannot go to this place. Jesus broke those things off at the cross. It goes on to say this. I believe a life in a personal relationship with Jesus, it will offer you what you cannot get for yourself, and that is salvation. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? You know that his living water is of unlimited supply? She's asking Jesus, where are you going to get it from? And Jesus is like, I'm here. I'm here. I don't run out. I'm endless. I'm eternal. I was here before the foundations of the earth. He said, everyone who drinks that water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The next thing is it reveals what we need and who he is. You see, when you encounter Jesus and you encounter his mercy, we don't realize what it is that we really need for our life. See, she wanted a drink of water. Her whole motive for being there was to get some water out of a well. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. 
What you need is to have this curse broken off of your life. It's to encounter me. It's to encounter the one the Bible says that who the son sets free is free indeed. She needed to encounter him. Though she just thought she was thirsty. And dare I say that there's somebody here tonight, you might have just come because you think this is what you're supposed to do on a Wednesday night. Or you're just supposed to be here and Jesus knows exactly why you're here. And he knows exactly what you need. You could have come just thinking that, you know what, I'm just going to go hear a nice message. I'm just going to go hear some nice praise and worship. But the Lord knows exactly what you need. It goes on to say that it reveals the Father's heart and instruction. It says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know for salvations from the Jews. He said, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. You see, in a personal relationship with Jesus, when you draw near to him and when you surrender your life to him, you can hear the Father's voice. Because the Bible says that Jesus spoke nothing unless the Father told him to say it. You see, you want to know what God's doing? You want to know what the Lord wants for your life? You want to know how the Lord is speaking? Listen, then you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Because no one, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am what? I am the life. And no one goes to the Father except through Jesus. It also reveals his kingdom plan. In a relationship with Jesus, there's no way that you will know what God's will is. If you're outside of Jesus and you're not having a personal relationship with him, you cannot know what the end is supposed to look like. You cannot know what tomorrow holds. You cannot know what today holds. You'll be living, walking aimlessly and confused. But the Bible says that it reveals his kingdom plan. The woman said in verse 25, I know that Messiah called Jesus is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. You don't have to wait any longer. I'm right here in front of you. The kingdom is near. I am I'm before you. Don't wait till Sunday. Don't wait till that brother or sister in Jesus that prays real good prays for you. Come to Jesus yourself. See, there's no need to revive those who are alive in Jesus, but there is great need to revive those who are dying in religion. There's great need to revive those who are dying in religion. And I don't know who this is speaking to tonight, but listen, you might be stuck in a cycle of religion. That is, you got married to the wrong person because religion has only trained you to become more like a Pharisee. That's judgmental, condemning and criticizing and less like Jesus. And it's time to establish a relationship with Jesus. With Jesus, church. Amen. Maybe you've said yes to Jesus, but listen, you've cheated on him with the ways of the world. See, a lot of people say yes to Jesus. I was so blessed by the message on Sunday. My brother Daniel, God bless him. He's already flown off to Massachusetts. But something he said that would just struck my heart. He said, you made covenants towards God. You made promises towards him. And God heard every single one of them. But you haven't paid up. You haven't kept your end of the bargain. 
though he's provided for you every day. You haven't kept your end of the bargain saying, oh, God, I'll say what you tell me to say. But all of a sudden, when God puts you in a situation to speak truth, you cower back. And all this time, God has sustained you. God has provided for you. God has kept you. you. You've got clothes on your back. Your children are well. Everything's been good in your life. You are still here because of the mercy of Jesus. But yet, we can't keep our promises towards him. Some people have allowed their eyes to lust after what the world offers. Listen to me carefully, church. There's that old song that says, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or fame. I'd rather be his to bless his holy name. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? What will you gain by tirelessly working day after day and missing out moments to spend with your Lord? What will you truly gain by chasing after the things of the world? Lusting after what the world offers, you've allowed your heart to be torn because you're chasing your goals, you're chasing your dreams, and you pushed aside the heart of your king. Listen, I'm all for doing great accolades. I'm all for academics. I'm all for for things that God will give you wisdom to do in this world. But listen, nothing, nothing, nothing is worth sacrificing your relationship towards Jesus. You say, Pastor Duke, they don't want me to talk about Jesus at work. It's time to find a new job. God will provide. Pastor, they won't let me pray at school. I want to pray. I want to pray for my, my brothers and sisters. I want to pray for the lost. Listen, it's time to pray then. You've got to be more obedient to what he is telling you than more fearful of what the world will say. It's time, church. It's time. Don't allow yourself to be in this position where you're torn. You cannot have one foot in and one foot out. Jesus describes that in the book of Revelation as being lukewarm. He said, because you're neither hot and nor cold. He said, but lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. God desires for you to know him personally, intimately, not just when you have an opportunity to do something for him. And tonight is the night that your soul gets revived. Tonight is the night that the Holy Spirit is drawing you back to him. Hebrews 7 and verse 18 says the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God and it was not without an oath It said others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And because of this oath, Jesus, everybody say Jesus. Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. How many of you want a better covenant? Amen. 
I don't want to be stuck in a religious cycle. I don't want to be stuck in this mundane over and over thing where you get caught in sin and you say, Pastor Duke, I'm never victorious. I keep going through sin and it's just, it's just this thing that goes back and forth. I never have found freedom. Listen, Jesus has become the better guarantor of a better covenant. Now there has been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. And therefore, he is able to save completely. Everybody say completely. He is able to save you completely, not partially. Some of you might feel partially saved right now. See, I feel I've given him my heart, but my mind is still oppressed. I've given him my heart, but my flesh still controls me. I've, I, I've said yes to him. I, I've done these things. Listen, you might feel partial towards God. He is able to save those completely. It goes on to say, it says, save them completely. Those who come to God through him. And because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy and blameless and pure and set apart from sinners. Exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed their sins once and for all when he offered himself. It says, for the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who's been made perfect forever. I believe the Lord is speaking to somebody's heart tonight and he's wanting you to step into him. There's been people that are listening to this word tonight and your heart is torn because you're getting used to this thing called religion. You're getting used to this thing called religion that just, it's a coming and a going and it's just a stand up and sit down and it's just this, this, this mundane routine cycle that goes on and on and on and you're saying, where is the joy? Where is the peace? Where is the love? Where is the victory? Where is the freedom? Because Jesus will set you free. Jesus will set you free. As I ask you to stand tonight, I want us to pray. And I want to make this invitation to anyone who's listening. I believe the Lord is saying, come to me. He's saying, come to me tonight. Come to me. Come to me. Lay down the things that you have gotten so easily entangled with the Bible says in Hebrews it says that sin that so easily entangles us and come to Jesus come before him with all of it with all of the back and forth 
come to him. Drop the religious baggage. Renounce the world and its ways and come to him. Come into a covenant relationship with him. That when you pray, you know he hears. And when he speaks, you listen. When he stirs your heart to do something, you respond. And when the enemy attacks your life, he steps in like the good shepherd that he is and he fights off those attacks. See, he's wanting all of you for all of him tonight. So I want us to pray. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I thank you right now for your word. I thank you for your truth. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org.